When you find yourself between here and there, the now and the then, it can feel difficult to embrace life and all that it has to offer, especially when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Wherever you're at though, we wanna help in that beautiful struggle of transitioning well through aspects of faith and life with The Places Between, a podcast all about transitions. Hi, I'm your host, Wendy. I'm a storyteller and a creative with a passion for adventure, fitness, and faith. What began as a love for travel, experiences, and community turned into helping clients around the country tell their own stories and inviting others to join them. I've always been passionate about people fully living. That means navigating those places between, opening up a safe space to have conversations and encouraging growth along the journey. So join me as we explore what it's like to transition well on the places between. Welcome everyone to another episode of The Places Between. I'm your host, Wendy. We're excited to have you for another episode of Navigating the Transitions of Life. In today's episode, we're going to dive in and get to know a little bit more of someone you may have had the chance to hear preach before. He's been my pastor since around the early 2000s, like 2010-ish, and I've had the privilege of learning and gleaning from his wisdom for some pivotal points of my life. I can't wait for y'all to meet Chad Brugman as he shares on points of his journey, navigating through life as a husband, as a pastor. And one of the things that I really admire most about him is his commitment and connection with the Holy Spirit, whatever season of life that he is in. He's all too familiar with transitions as well as he's had a really big transition within the last couple of years. So I hope you pull up a chair, grab a cup of coffee, and let's dive into the places between. So Chad, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a privilege and honor that you even asked me. And so just hearing you talk about me for a minute as one of your pastors is incredibly humbling. And so I'm so grateful to be here. I'm excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for the three people that don't know you, tell us just like a high level view. What does the world get to see um, in terms of Chad Brugman? Who are you? Um, can you give us a snapshot of your life, your career? Well, yeah, that's a loaded question. Who do they get to see? Um, they get to see a bit of a hot mess depending on the day. Hopefully they get to see someone that is a good father, a good husband before anything else, child of God. Uh, of course, I got to get those out of the way. I hope they see someone that is deeply committed to mission. And for me, mission is, is I think right now, and this will probably evolve because that's, that's what relationship does. It evolves. But right now my mission is mercy. And that's a big term. And it comes yeah. in a lot of different packages, a lot of different ways. But I really want to be a person who's a purveyor of mercy and a giver of mercy and a receiver of mercy in order to give it. And so that's me. Humans are a beautiful masterpiece. Beauty and brokenness all colliding to make the God story. Well, okay. So we're going to dive in deep right away, if you don't mind. Let's talk about identity. And if you can give us a snapshot into you as a child and how you grew up what do you think it is that shaped your your narrative? I grew up 
in a way that a lot of kids, unfortunately, don't have the privilege of growing up. I grew up with incredible parents. That to me is first and foremost, when I think about my childhood, I think of the privilege I had of unlimited safety, unlimited faith that my parents had in me and who I was becoming. Uh, I always say this about my mom and my dad. They are apostles of mercy and grace. They're seven and a half decades into life now and everywhere they've gone, they have left massive trail of grace behind them for people like me to walk safely behind. And my life has been one of incredible privilege. We didn't necessarily have a lot of money growing up. We were what, you know, I call ministry poor, which is in a lot of ways rich. When you're struggling financially, but you're doing it for the kingdom of God, which my parents did so faithfully, I had no clue we were poor because of how many aspects of life we were so wealthy. So I'm just really grateful. I'm really privileged the way I grew up as a child. I mean, I have war stories. I could tell you those pivotal moments where my soul was profoundly hurt and took the sting of this world like everybody else does. And so, yeah, I mean, that's formed me as well in some ways. But overall, I was born with privilege. That's why mercy is so important to me. Like I said, right up top is because when you're met with any kind of privilege, we have a divine responsibility to pass that on to people yeah. that, and that's what I'm dedicating my life to. We don't get to hear a lot of people talk about mercy. So <laughs> when you combine those two of like, we do have an, like a huge responsibility to pay that back. And as a Christ follower, I think that's one of the best things that we can do is walk in that daily. Who would we be without God's mercy? So I've heard so many wonderful things about your parents. I believe your father's been a counselor for years and years and years, correct? Yeah, he's he's done multiple things, but while he's done all these other things, he was a vice president of a Bible university for about almost 30 years. But while he was doing that, his actual training is in marriage and family counseling. And so he's been doing that, I'm guessing, for four decades now. In fact, I'm sitting right now in his office. And right before I came here to do this, he left and had just been counseling people all morning. And so um, that's who he is. He is a listener. And gosh, I need to be better at that. I mean, I want more of that from my father. I think the best people on earth are the best listeners. And so that's him. And behind any decent man, there's always a better woman. And my mom is that woman. She's behind the scenes. She is subtle in life. She doesn't want anyone to know much about her at all, but she's five, two and shrinking. And I call her the little general. She is the sweetest, kindest person. I know. I mean, when I think of her, the first word that comes to my mind is pure, Um, pure in heart, see God. And so I've learned more about God from my mom than anyone. Wow. What a beautiful example. That's really neat. Diving into family a little bit more. I know we were just chatting about how you had some um, precious coveted time with your wife and you have four kids. So (laughs) I don't know how much you talk about family life publicly, but can you give us a little bit? I know um, your house is full of energy. (laughs) Let's say that. Oh my That's an understatement. It's somewhat organized chaos half the time. And all the moms that might be listening or dads, you'll get this. It's just, it's mostly unorganized chaos with a lot of grace and mm. <laughs> a lot of learning for uh, Rachel and I, my wife. I mean, we have four kids. I always joke, uh, especially when I go to churches, I always joke when I'm new there and I say, hey, I have four kids and I should have had two. 
Um, and people kind of laugh, but they kind of look at me awkward, like, but I'm okay, we're, we're, we're keeping them all. But from just a strictly stewardship point of view, I look back and go, what in the world was I doing having four kids? Like, and I love it. It's the best thing I've ever done in life, but it is a trip, man. It is every day. I mean, every, not even every day, every hour, my oldest is 15. My youngest is five. So we're all over the place. I mean, every hour there's injuries, there's tears, there's some kind of usually, usually from my five-year-old, cause he's just hilarious, but there's some kind of family laughter that we all share. So it's just this huge mixed bag of chaos and I wouldn't want it any other way, but it's, it's crazy. <laughs> That's funny. Love- and your youngest is the one that you refer to as little Farley, right? No, that's that's my second youngest. That's oh, been, your second youngest. So yeah, he's, he's like a comedian, and he's just hilarious. His first about five or six years, he had a lisp. Like all of our kids, I don't know if this is just normal, but they all had some kind of speech impediment. Sure. For the first several years, is just adorable. As bad as it sounds, you don't want it to go away because it's just yeah. adorable. Well, he had a whistle list, kind of like Snoop Dogg. I would call <laughs> it the Snoop Dogg whistle list. Where so. He would just be like, say, dad, what's up, dad? Like, like, it's just like, he's a little Farley. He's crazy. And J- Cruz is just, his sense of humor is one of his best traits. That's our five-year-old. He has this laughing. Um, but he's also boss. He's boss baby. So I'm not proud of this, but on many levels, he runs the show. Should that happen? No. Is that the right approach to parenting? Absolutely not. That kid is just so charismatic and manipulative. Well, I feel like that's a lot of times there's families that if there's more than three kids in the house, whether it's four or five or even six, typically the youngest, if they're intelligent enough, they can pick up on everything. And then they are the ones that it's like they're, you know, 20 years older than they really are. And they run the show. <laughs> you, you nailed it. That is Cruz to a T. Like yeah. his maturity, his understanding, he jumps into everything the older kids do and just learns by default, which the older kids don't have that as much, right? They don't have that experience. And so it's just fun to watch. They're all so different. I wouldn't want it any other way. It makes parenting a little more dynamic and difficult, yeah. but it's beautiful. I'm um, saying yeah. kids, they all look like you in different ways, but they're all so different. And I love it because that's humanity, right? Totally. I love that. Well, so Hopefully over the last, well, year or so, especially in light of COVID, you've gotten a lot more time with your family. If we can back up just a little bit, tell us a little bit about your career, um, the church that you got to serve with. I know that was, you know, a big part of my life as well in terms of the church. And then you left, I can't remember, was it 2018? So can you speak to a little of pre-COVID? And um, I'd love to hear like how Rachel supported you in following your dreams to become a pastor and, or did it just like fall in your lap and you're like, I I guess I'm a pastor or. Um, For anyone, you know, whoever's listening, I, I've been a pastor now for over 20 years. I started out the first several years as a youth pastor, which is just some of the best days of my life. Like I look back on those and with such fondness. And I mean, that's where I cut my teeth. So fun, right? (laughs) That's how many pastors that do it professionally cut their teeth is, you know, youth ministry. And I don't think there should be any other avenue. It's just beautiful. And I'm getting older, but I'm super young at heart. And when we started Red Rocks Church, which would come later in the story where you you would come along, especially in the early days, we always called our church a youth group for adults. 
And that was strategic and unapologetic. Partly it was because of our ludicrous antics that we would use to leverage the gospel. Sean and I especially were just a couple of guys working together that uh, are super young at heart, not taking ourselves super, super seriously, although we're doing a very serious work. And, you know, um, the gospel is a beautiful, serious thing. And so I think it worked for us. I think a lot of people started showing up to our church when we started it. Not because we had it all together, because we were doing a lot great. Because really, when we look back on the old days, it was pretty rough. I mean, at least the aesthetics were pretty rough, but our intentions were good. Our motives were pretty good. And we wanted to preach the gospel. and We wanted to help people in their faith journey. And um, we had a lot of fun doing it. I was a part of Red Rocks from the beginning for 14 and a half years. It was 14 and a half of the best years of my life. It was incredible. I grew and learned so much. The kindness and graciousness of that church and the church family there at Red Rocks, I would put against any church in the country as far as being kind to us, the pastors, and gracious to us. You know, there's always knuckleheads and people that cause you to lose some sleep, but that's just real life. I'm sure I've caused people to lose sleep too with my antics. And so just incredible, incredible time there. Uh, As far as Rachel in that journey, she has been amazing from day one, incredibly supportive. Uh, when we decided we were moving to Denver to plant a church, we were in a really good spot youth ministry wise. And we had worked really hard to get some of the blessings that had came with that job. It was at a real big church. They were building me as the youth pastor and my wife. They were building like a $3.2 million youth facility right oh next goodness. door to the church. We loved the staff. The youth group was growing at that time, like kind of crazy. We were loving the kids. And so when we left, it was incredibly hard for both of us, but it was really hard for her. And part of that was like the security factor that I think a lot of wives, you know, that that like, and, and I, that's not a bad thing, a lot of security that we had finally obtained. And it was like, we were about to blow it all up again. And even in the midst of some of her mind games and fears, she was just a trooper, man. She just was strong and she was encouraging. And she just, she let me, go on an adventure that I felt deeply in my heart. I was supposed to go. She was like, I'm, I'm in the passenger seat. I'm ready. And if you need me to drive, I'll drive. And, if, you know, and I'm just eternally grateful to her. I'm kind of in my second half of life now, just starting the beginning phases of the second half of life and in, you know, mid forties and a big thing on my heart that's super important to me is doing that for her now, whatever that looks like, that's up to her. But I just, wanna, I just want to champion her in any way I can. And, and watch God do uh, in her some of the things that she got to support watching him do in me. I could brag on my wife this whole time and it would be a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the neat things about our relationships with God. My life verse is Ephesians three twenty, and wow. it's that he could do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine through his power. And I think that that verse alone gives us permission to dream Yeah, The fact that she let you dream for such a long season, and I'm sure some of her dreams came to life through that. And then now how you're pivoting to say, okay, now what are your dreams? And let's keep going and let's keep dreaming for big things. Like that's huge. There's so many sucky things about getting older. Practically (laughs) your body break down more, you get bags under your eyes, all that. But when you try and do life right, there's so many perks to getting older. And one of them is how we partner together and how we do ministry and how we do life together and the way we share mission together and um, honor each other and our gifting, skill sets, passions, personality. There's so much more mercy and grace 
17 years into marriage that we have for each other. It's one of the spoils of just being together, just sticking it out. So. I love that partnering in ministry for sure. If you could say, what are the things that keeps you going? What keeps you in your journey for showing up day after day? Cliches are inevitable, but they're cliches for a reason, right? And so yeah. I will start, and, and I know you're probably going to have people from different faiths listening in on this. And so before I give you my answer, I want to honor everyone that's listening in their story and their faith journey and wherever they come from. I just want to honor the beauty in that before I just boldly tell my faith story. But Absolutely. I will tell them, I'll start with the ultimate cliche, which is Jesus. I found nothing and no one better, no one more trustworthy in this life to follow. He's so kind in how um, on the front end, he tells us that life isn't always going to be easy and faith isn't always going to be easy. And you're going to pay prices for your faith Mm -hmm. and you're going to be persecuted for your faith. You're going to be so misunderstood at times for your faith. You're going to be judged for your faith. I love that he says, I, I'll give you the most succinct statement he makes, but it's all over his teachings. He says, you know, John 16, I think 30 or 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. And I love that he says that. Like, hey, guys, signing up to have faith in me will not absolve you from trouble. It will, In fact, it's going to add some trouble at different times to your life. But then there's a comma there instead of a period. Thank God for the commas in the Bible, right? And he says, but be of good cheer. You're going to go through some hell and high water. You're going to go through some suffering. You're going to have some trials. There's going to be some dark nights of the soul. Those are inevitable. I want you to be ready for them, not shocked Mm -hmm. by them. But it is divinely possible to walk in those incredibly dark seasons and have a disposition of cheer, which I just translate as joy, which is deeper than circumstances. It's a disposition of the heart that is trusting God through the mystery Trusting God through the difficulty, trusting God through the unanswered questions, the dark nights mm-hmm. of the soul, trusting God through tragedy, all the things that are going to come our way. Being of good cheer isn't some pie in the sky, nice little proverbial statement Jesus mm-hmm. makes. It's divinely possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm on a mission to know how to sit with integrity in those two seemingly contrasting things, which is difficulty with good cheer. Wow. I just call me naive, call me what you want, but I just believe and I've taken and seen it as possible that you can be of good cheer while life doesn't feel real good. I've mm-hmm. experienced that. That's not theory to me. That's like part of my story, part of my testimony. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many thoughts. It's funny how on the outside it looks like life is great for so many of us. And Thanks to the world of social media, um, we can really portray um, a pretty easygoing life. And for a lot of us, I think we experience the really high highs and we put them on social media for the world to see. And then the lows, we just don't talk about. And I think that's one of the things that with this podcast or even conversations that I have offline about the struggles of life and what really keeps us going for me, I can relate like the commitment to Jesus, um, knowing when everybody's unfollowing God and Jesus says to Peter, like, you're not going to unfollow me too, are you? And Peter responds saying like, who are we to follow? Like who else? Where else would we go? <laughs> totally. I think you answered my question better than I answered it in that statement right there. Cause it's like, 
there's no other option now that I've tasted and seen how good you are. Mm. No other option to go somewhere else. It also gets smaller and more futile and silly after you've really, I'm saying not a religious, but a really intimate experience with Christ, which is possible for all of us. Yeah. Everything else seems kind of silly and small to go somewhere else. You actually answered my question better for me than I did. No. So I should probably do the questions. No, well, I just love hearing people's perspective too. So what would you say for somebody that's like listening right now going, that's great that you feel that way, but I just haven't ever experienced God that deeply. How would you encourage somebody to cultivate that? If I was with them, which I'm not on this, it's a one-sided question right. for me. If I was having this conversation privately, which I've had more than I can count of those, there would be a lot of follow-up questions to mm-hmm. kind of know, like, hey, what's that mean when you say, you know, tell me your story. Tell me, tell me what your faith journeys look like or hasn't looked like. So uh, I could get an idea more of what I would say to them. So being more general, I would say a big part of it is continuing, continuing in your commitment to be on a faith journey, to, to play this thing out. And and all you can do is be yourself before God and bring your fullest, most integrated self to him. Like the burden is not on you to prove God real or to prove God right. And I say this with the utmost respect, God willfully, just by sending Jesus alone is making the statement, hey, the burden of proof is on me. The burden of uh, reality and authenticity, this relationship is mine to authenticate, but it's yours to embrace. You keep coming honestly. You keep bringing your whole integrated self to me. You have full permission to be as honest as possible with me. And that means the good, the bad, and the ugly. Read the book of Psalms. There's incredible precedent to bring every aspect of your life. And his burden is to authentic and authenticate himself. And so take the pressure off and give it time because this is a journey that's a lifetime. Your walk with God continually evolves. He reveals himself more and more like diamonds do differently all the time, depending on where the light's hitting it. Generally, that would be what I would say to the people going through that. It's beautiful. Just how our faith, we continue to discover new aspects of it. I know we've jumped around a little bit, but I do want to touch a little bit on um, you making the decision to leave. What are you doing now? I know obviously COVID for a lot of us just kind of like rearranged any type of plans, but um, what do you find yourself doing now? Is there anything you're excited about for the future? And A whole lot I'm excited about for the future. Like a little less than two years ago, I left Red Rocks, which was by far the hardest decision of my life. And I know some people you're thinking that, well, then you've had a privileged life. And like I said earlier, yeah, I have, but it's my story and it's all I know. And, and, I have such admiration and love for that place that leaving it was the hardest thing I've ever done because God was so good to me and my family through that whole season. And I am who I am because of my 14 and a half years there up to this point. It was so hard. It was so disorienting. It came with such a dark night of the soul. I keep using that phrase, but Mm -hmm. I left partly because I was sinking into one of those and I needed some margin. I needed a respite. I needed to step away from the pressure of, a, you know, our church by whatever, for whatever reason in God's sovereignty, it grew to be really big, really fast. And there were so many parts of the job that came with it that I was, I felt unequipped for and that de-energized me, that didn't energize me. Depression, you know, this Wendy depression has always been a big part of my story. 
mm-hmm. since I was a teenager. And in the last several years before I backed away from Red Rocks, there was a wave of it that was coming on again, mm-hmm. one, one of the most difficult in my life. And um, I found myself exhausted. I found my mental health really in a, in a fight, a struggle, mostly privately because I wanted mm-hmm. to, there's things you share appropriately and things you sure. don't. Sure. I just finally decided that we needed to step away. And I took almost a full year off. I was blessed to be able to do that. And just wow. a lot of therapy, a lot of rest, a lot of time with my family, a lot of catching up on sleep, a lot of self-introspection and trying to sit with God and become more self-aware about the good, the bad, and the ugly in my life to move forward smarter. And mm-hmm. um, all that to say, gosh, I just started jumping back in about a year ago and then COVID hit and I lost about 80% of my job, which was traveling and preaching and speaking to staffs at churches. I started doing some executive coaching stuff for a minute and then it all just stopped. Oh, wow. I was just breaking into that world, which was pretty interesting. And I'm just now, as things are slowly starting to open open up again, I'm starting to travel and preach the gospel, which is where I feel, I don't remember what, the guy's name was, but he was the first guy to break the four minute mile way back in the day. And one of his oh, wow. famous quotes, yeah. I think, I think it's a movie, the chariots of fire, but one of his favorite quotes was, why are you so obsessed with running? And why do you get up every day and keep trying to run faster and faster? And he says, every time I run, I feel God's pleasure. That's me. When I preach, it's like, I can't quit it. Even when I thought I was going to, it's like, I can't quit you because there's something about me getting up in front of people and bragging on the goodness of God. And doing it as authentically as I possibly can and watching the synergy between myself and the people listening and then that intangible power of the Holy Spirit invading whatever room, whatever arena we find ourselves in. There's just this moment where I know the Holy Spirit is doing the heavy lifting and doing the work. And I become ironically, effortlessly, it's one of those small windows in my life where I just feel, again, fully integrated and whole and alive. And so I have a hunch I'm probably, even if I think I will quit, like I did a couple years ago, I'm probably going to be preaching the gospel for the rest of my life somehow. How that plays yeah. out, I don't know. I'll tell you when I get there, but I'm at peace. And I love it. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Even just being part of the church body and watching the way the church handled just your departure and their support of you. And even just a couple of years ago with hearing about different pastors around the country, finally being authentic in their own struggle. We never expect our pastors to be perfect. And I think that was just a huge tool that the enemy used to keep pastors in this performance mode of I'm here and you're there and we can't actually share what's really going on. So I love how um, the church had handled that with you and, and just even watching over the last couple of years, it's like you got the time you needed and the rest you needed. Everybody needs a Sabbath. That's why people have midlife crisis from careers and like quit their jobs because they've, they haven't had any rest. I think we can learn a lot from the way that God created everything in, you know, the first seven days and he rested. I take full ownership in my story for that. For people hearing my story for the first time, there was, that was on me. And I don't feel condemnation, none, but I do look back and I want to be better moving forward. And a huge chunk of that, Wendy, is rhythms of rest and seeing it as sacred 
not something I got to do to check off so I can get back to the fun, crazy, exhilarating stuff. Um, in the last few years, I have cultivated a conviction of rest as a sacred discipline of spirituality, not something to do to obey God because he said it was good. So I can jump back into it. I now I'm trying to do ministry out of a place of rest and not just cliched. I'm really learning how to do that. And it's a game changer. I love that. I love that. Cool. Well, okay. So we're nearing the end of our time together. I'm going to fire off a couple last few questions and just feel free to answer with what comes to your head. Um, Switching gears just a little bit. What's the coolest thing about being married and what can you share with those who still desire it? Don't even have to think about this one. So for me, 17 years in friendship is the greatest spoil. And there's many spoils in marriage, but as you get deeper into it, and we have been far from perfect, but we've done a lot of things, hard work to cultivate health in our marriage and the spoils of that, that are my favorite, that are the most life-giving is deep friendship. Um, I I think it's maybe one of the most under-discussed, underrated things that we talk about or don't talk about when it comes to marriage is friendship. And there is a degree of friendship we have that just wasn't there. You don't know it when you don't know it, but it wasn't the first few years. We were fueling off the the early fires of romance, which I think is a God thing. I don't, I don't apologize for that. I think it's a, John Eldridge calls the early days of marriage, a divine setup for you to be sanctified eventually. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I miss those days in some way, but knowing what I know now about friendship, versus the just the fiery fueled moments of romance that come so effortlessly in the early days. I would take friendship every day of the week, twice on Sunday. So that's my favorite. I love that. Yeah. One more question. Um, what is one of the, I guess, wildest, funniest memories that you have in all of your years of being a pastor? I know there's a lot, but can you think of one funny one? I don't know if it's one, but it's, it's one thing. We just, you, you know, you were there. We did so much youth groupy, fun, crazy stuff for adults in the early days, especially because we just didn't have all these kids running around our house. We just had more time to film it and do it. But I just loved making people come to church and laugh. And I know that doesn't get top billing for what's spiritual in church, nor am I trying to make it that, but you know me, I love to laugh, uh, especially as a person who struggles with depression. Laughter is medicine, the Bible says. Cheer is is medicine for the soul. And so I've always wanted to be, you know, some of the greatest comedians were deeply depressed people. And I think it was so therapeutic and so beautiful in their brokenness to see other people laugh. We have so many memories of doing such, you know, stupid things. The Monster Ballad series where every week I lip-synced an 80s song before we talked about relationships. Yeah, yeah. that's we, awesome. We did a relationship series called The Andersons where Sean and I played all six or seven <laughs> characters. It was kind of like those, uh, I can't even remember what the commercials are, where the same few people play the, all the characters. Oh, like Tyler Perry, how he's Medea and the grandpa. Yeah. And- <laughs> I love that stuff. I love why the Bible is so tense in so many places Mm -hmm. because it is a double-edged sword, right? It pierces the soul and the spirit. So it can judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And I always said, if you're going to let the Bible do its job, 
the people sitting there, sitting in the tension of it, deserve to have reprieve for their souls. And when we laugh, you're buying the hard time to take more of the convicting power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And so to me, it's kindness. And so it's all the laughter, all the years of laughing with our church that I look back on with the most fondness, for sure. I love it. That's so good. I'll never forget the time that you talked about um, deep sea fishing and they gave you a patch, (laughs) which I'm so sorry that happened to you, but I can't even fathom. For those that are listening, they gave you a seasickness patch, right? Or So they said. They had (laughs) ran out on the plane. They were one short and they were these really high dollar seasickness patches. And I'm not a deep sea fisherman. That was my first time. So I'm not used to the, I don't have my sea legs. And so they made it look like with just a band-aid, they cut out what looked like their patches. And when I was passed out on the plane, because when we were flying, when we were flying to the ocean, I had just preached four times that weekend. And so I was out on the plane and they put it on me and they just said, oh, hey, we already put yours on. And I was the first guy to, to get in the chair and start fishing. And it was like a 30 minute catch. And I didn't have the medicine I needed. And I literally, the minute we were done with that catch, I just puked all over the boat. And I was sick the whole rest of the trip. Oh. So So that's not funny for you. Yeah. But your recollection of it from stage was absolutely hysterical. So thank you for bringing that humor. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, lastly, because I ask all of our guests, what place are you between and what are you looking forward to the most? Yeah, like I said earlier, um, I'm in that infantile stages of the second half of life. And so I feel yeah. like, a, I mean, whatever you want to call it, a freshman going to high school, or I feel like, a, a, you know, a little kid that is just starting to walk on their own. It's very vulnerable and it's very new. That. You fall a lot, right? And yeah. and it's very humbling to get to the senior, to use that analogy, to get to the senior year of one season where you finally feel like it's all coming together and then you graduate and God has you back in freshman class. And I'm in, I'm a freshman right now with this phase of life. And I think it's beautiful, but it's very vulnerable and be okay tripping and getting back up. And until that muscle memory gets stronger and you, you, you can walk a little further and a little faster and a little farther. And, and so I'm in baby step mode right now with my journey, with the second half of life, with what's next. And, what I'm trying to do is leverage it. It's almost like coming back to a first love. That's your only option when you get in these seasons. Hopefully some people on the other line here are listening and they're in a freshman season for some reason, sure. even if it's the second half of life. And I would just say your best option is come back to that first love. Mm-hmm. Go back to those days of early intimacy where it felt effortless and it felt beautiful and you couldn't get enough and you don't have to fake it. but Ask God to bring you back there, and He really will. Hmm. And it's beautiful. Absolutely. I love so that. Well, Chad, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for letting us glean from your wisdom and experience. And it's just an honor to call you friend and pastor. And I appreciate your time. Wow. That was so good. Chad is your pastor. I thought that was so also so amazing. I know. He definitely was my pastor for a handful of years while attending Red Rocks Church. Talk about wisdom, right? I know. Like there are so many things from that talk that I loved from just like how he talked about his mom 
and his parents yeah. and, and really recognizing the privilege that he grew up within. Also, his talks about struggling with depression and that being such a large part of kind of his adolescent and young adult years mm-hmm. and even how he was able to be transparent with his congregation about that. I think that's huge. And Mm -hmm. we could certainly use more of that. I think Mm -hmm. in our own lives and in people with a platform, just like that ability to be transparent about those hurts. I think what really blew my mind, two things that like stuck out so much is that it seemed like he transitioned during times that were like at the height. Like Mm -hmm. when they talk about leaving that youth ministry that had really grown Mm -hmm. to start this church in Denver, start Red Rocks and like how on paper it probably totally looked like the wrong time to go. Mm -hmm. And, and even his wife's sacrificing in that. And then it also seemed like as much as he went through, like, so was sharing with us about the exhaustion that he was feeling when he, when he decided to move from that position at Red Rocks, but also it was doing amazing, such an incredible platform. So many members like doing so much for the community in Denver and for like how many countless people around the world that are able to tune in and listen to sermons. I know you had sent me sermons throughout the years from Chad. Mm -hmm. And so knowing to move on then. And I just thought, man, like how in touch you have to be with the Holy spirit when everything looks great and it's Mm -hmm. all working and all those dreams are coming true. Mm -hmm. But the spirit is saying, okay, now let's transition. Absolutely. And I, and just like, like it gives me chills thinking about that. We so often look for the external signs and yet he and his family seem to be looking for those, those internal moves of the spirit within them. Even if it kind of comes out of exhaustion or depression when we're like, gosh, Lord, this isn't feeling right. Mm -hmm. But I think the Lord even uses those feelings. And then I just wanted to high five him when he was like, now it's time for her, for his wife. Mm-hmm. To go and to like, and him to get to support her on those dreams. And it's not that the husband's dreams need to come first or the wife's dreams need to come first, but they as a couple seem like such a unit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely loved how he talked about the, his favorite part of marriage was the deep friendship that he had. Yes. And he's like, how he says, I would take friendship every day and twice on Sunday just shows the sweetness of their, their marriage and their unity. And um, what a team. Totally. Yeah. I think we all desire that. Yeah. That he roots for her, that they root for each other. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. All right. Thanks you all for listening and please be sure to subscribe and, and please rate and review us. We would so love that and so appreciate it. And Have a great day and thank you again for coming and joining us for The Places Between. I'm over here cheering you on, friend. You just finished another episode of The Places Between podcast. If you want to access more, be sure to subscribe or visit theplacesbetween.com to learn more about our guests, episode sponsors, upcoming retreats, and more. Like Stay in the Story, a 25-day devotional all about staying in your story while you wait on your dreams, on God, and on life to come to fruition. 
And lastly, if you're looking for an online community of people who also want to transition well, then come say hi over on Instagram at the places between. As always, thanks for taking time to dive into the places between. Until next time, keep enjoying that journey.